This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. More than likely, you right now are listening to this while in a more urban area, probably a city. I say that not because this podcast is from WBZ Chicago, but because more than half of the world lives in urban areas. That's been the case ever since 2008, when the world passed the 50-50 urban-rural divide. And the Earth is becoming even more urban. The World Bank says 70% of us will live in cities by 2050. The world is changing. We know that urbanization leads to huge, major environmental and social transformations. This is Sabina Sheck. She's a senior instructional professor at the University of Chicago, and she thinks a lot about how cities affect our planet. Locally, urbanization can lead to fragmented ecosystems and loss of biodiversity. Uh, Built environments create impermeable surfaces, contributing to local flooding and heat island effects, which we hear a lot about here in Chicago. More impermeable surfaces, like concrete, mean more heat, which means more opportunities for flooding. And the most disadvantaged communities have to endure the brunt of the effects. But it's not all bad. Sabina says cities offer unique opportunities because cities are hubs of innovation. All the key factors we need to address climate change coexist here in urban cities. So I asked Sabina the big question. What do we do about it? There's almost competing schools of thought on this, right? And and one is that we want to rely on influencing individual actions, right? So sort of nudging people towards pro-environmental behavior. We know that that can happen, but does this sort of individual action scale up enough to deal with the planetary problem? Mm -hmm. The other thought is that, well, maybe it's, you know, awareness only gets us so far and that we need to sort of think about, well, how do we create, you know, structural change, right? Or systemic change. And that requires rethinking at all levels, all types of policies. When it comes to addressing climate change, do we have an individual responsibility to act or do we need a broad cultural shift or both? You know, what we're seeing with climate change, it's it's unprecedented right? and it's intensifying. Like every new climate report that comes out is increasingly dire and we're witnessing disasters regularly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's just almost like every every week. And while I don't want to be alarmist, I think that we know nothing short of doing everything will suffice. Nothing short of everything. Sabina touched on this recently during an event at the Chicago Humanities Festival. Today, I talked to her about what needs to happen in cities like Chicago, in countries around the world, and also deep down inside our hearts and our minds. I'm looking at the title of the Chicago Humanities event that you were at, and it says, How Cities Like Chicago Impact Our Planet's Health. And I just... I kind of want to dig in on, like, there is a city and, like, these are the ways that, like, 
all of the stuff that is that a city has really puts its tentacles out, <laughs> you know, like into like the greater state, country, mm-hmm. planet. I wonder if you could maybe use an example of one thing to illustrate that. We we hear a lot about um, cities, you know, consuming the majority of the world's energy and producing the majority of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. I think another thing that we can think about is waste generation. And so how everything that we consume, most of the consumption in the world happens in cities and it has to leave the city at some point. And some of it leaves through air emissions, some of it leaves through atmospheric greenhouse gas emissions, and some of it ends up in you know, giant landfills in, say, sub-Saharan Africa, for example. And so I think that we have to think about, you know, when we drop something into the garbage or we think we're doing something by dropping something into the recycling bin, um, that's not the end of its life, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about that on a global scale, I think would there's opportunity for a lot of transformation around waste in in addition to energy and addition to water as well. I guess so much of it, it's hard for me. This is what we were talking about earlier because I'm just like, duh, like compost. You know what I mean? Like make a garden. Like, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like so obvious, but I- Well, I think it, it feels it feels obvious and it, it feels, um, I think in some cases it feels small. And even if like we all in the city of Chicago composted, are we doing enough, right? And and why are we generating so much waste to begin with? And And if we're thinking about ways to- you know, safely dispose of our waste, are we also thinking about ways to just reduce the amount of waste we're even creating, right? And the amount of resources that we're extracting that end up turning into waste. And that's all, I think a lot of that's about consumption, Mm. understanding our consumption, understanding the global and planetary impact that our consumption has. Yeah. So it's, it's the first R in reduce, reuse, recycle. (laughs) Yeah. You, you talked about make, it's like, creating infrastructure laws policies to make it easier right for us to make these these individual decisions like this right think about how to reduce our waste um what what in this particular example would that look like yeah so i think i mean it's sort of twofold the cultural shift is that we you know find ways to reduce our reduce our consumption and that that's very difficult to imagine in the current economic system that we have um both for the you know providers of goods and the consumers of goods. Um, But in terms of, you know, how do we sort of change the ways we do things? If it becomes easier to reuse things, for example, like an iPhone is a perfect example, right? We are buying new iPhones every single year because they're designed to, to sort of become obsolete very quickly. So are there different things? There are policies that can affect that, right? For sure. There are things that could sort of, induce us to use our devices for longer. Um, same with fashion, right? Fashion by design is trendy, right? And we want to <laughs> have the newest and the latest fashions, but is there some kind of circularity, some kind of um, reuse cycle that could be um, more effective in sort of reducing the amount of sort of new things that we need all the time? Yeah. It's hard because it's like this individual decision, but then we're talking about cultural shifts. And so it's just hard to put the scales together, which is yeah. the challenges really of addressing climate change is these competing scales. Yeah. And then also, like, I hear so much that, like, you know, if like kind of like you were saying, like the, if the whole city of Chicago composted, like that doesn't change the fact that, like, there are these farms where, you know, there's all these cows. Well, we're still out here eating the cows and drinking the milk. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm exactly. saying? So it's just like yeah. it's it it feels like the individual thing is just so tiny. And I feel like that's the message 
a lot of the time. And like, exactly, exactly. Um, when, when you're saying, but still do it and like doing it is a part of the cultural shift that's needed. You know, right. I, I think that's the, the key. Right. I guess one other thing I will add about all of this is just that there's some things that we can change that are, um, I guess, in some ways more less visible or less encountered. So if we think about buildings, if we change all our building codes and we electrify all of our buildings um, and reduce the greenhouse gas footprint, that doesn't really change our lifestyle that much. We can we know how to do that. We can do that through through policy. We can do that through technology. Um, but it's different than if we say, your cow example, everybody needs to stop eating meat, right? Or everybody needs to stop driving. That's something that just doesn't track well with people. Mm-hmm. And so I think we want to we wanna make sure that we capture all of those sort of invisible things, but then we start also moving towards in these directions of cultural shifts. Yeah, like what are the ways you can do it that people won't even notice or like will be less resistant to? Right. And I think that's that's valuable. You know, we might argue that what well, we want people to know about it. Right. We have yes. to create awareness. So that's why I guess what I mean by it's everything. <laughs> you know, it's like, Correct. Correct. Right. I want to get into your work at the University of Chicago Speaking of, you know, the onus being on everyone and, and everything, you're creating a curriculum around some of these ideas, right? Absolutely. Thank you for asking about that. Um, so I'm part of what's called the um, Committee on Environment, Geography and Urbanization. A SIGU is what we refer to ourselves. The acronym is SIGU. Um, and our mission from an educational perspective is really to prepare students to understand the underpinnings of our current environmental problems and environmental injustices but also to shape and influence, you know, societal responses through through scholarship, through practice, and through community engagement. So we're in the process of developing a new community studies program. We want to be very outward facing and very engaged in how we approach these problems in Chicago and globally. So much of your work, and in addition to creating this curriculum, uh, it just requires, I would imagine, so much hope (laughs) Um, (laughs) in the face of you know, again, seeing this urbanization, you know, happen and almost exponentially and, and increase so much over the course of time and looking to even more of that in the future, along with everything else, um, of what helps you maintain that hope and in, in pressing mm-hmm. forward? Well, I have the great benefit of working with um, spending the majority of my day with, you know, 18 to 22 year old students. <laughs> and they are they're brilliant and they're hopeful and they inspire me to think differently mm. about things. And so I think that they're in many ways, the motivation for why we've built this program is that mm. we don't have to think the same way about things. We don't have to just assume that things will always be the way that they are, the way or the way that we you know, think they need to be. So I think that that's for me, I mean, I can't ask for any, any more than that. Just being around that all the time, it's extremely inspirational and it sort of puts me in a position where I don't want to let anybody down, but I also just I don't want to, you know, stop what we're doing because I think it's just so important to be listening to, you know, the generation of people that are going to be most affected by climate change. Yeah. You're making me jealous. I'm like, dang, do I need to like figure out how to get around more 18 to 20 year olds? You're welcome. Anytime. We would love to have you. Because <laughs> I need some hope in my life right now. <laughs> 
anything else you you want to share? Those are those are all my questions, um, Sabina. Anything else you would want to add to this conversation? Yeah, I'll just say that I like you know I know it's it's sometimes easy to get caught in these cycles of of doom and gloom about the world, and I just wanted to say that I think that there's a lot of people working very hard to deal with um, climate change, with inequality, with with just some of the things that just seem so intractable or just seem so hard to wrap our heads around. And I think that there's there's just a lot of action. There's a lot of progress. And I think that we just need to remind ourselves of that to keep going because we still have time and we still have a lot we can do. So um, just trying to, to end on a hopeful note because it's there. Mm-hmm. Sabina Sheck is a senior instructional professor at the University of Chicago and the Director of Academic Programs at SIGU, the University of Chicago's Committee on Environment, Geography, and Urbanization. Sabina, thank you. Thank you, Erin. The Chicago Humanities Festival runs through November 16th. You can find more information at chicagohumanities.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Cleve and Natalie Moore for editing the show. Brendan Vanazak is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. If you love The Rundown, please rate us, review us. It helps more people find the show. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 